Well, great and mighty God, it is such a privilege to be in your presence this morning. The presence of, of you, holy God, thank you that you've made a way. Thank you that we have access through Jesus to come into your presence this morning. Thank you for just the blessings you continually pour out upon us. And now, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. Do you have a word for us this morning to encourage us, to strengthen us, to lead us, to guide us as your people? And so I pray now as we open your word together, Lord, um, that there will be less of me, more of you, Lord, that you would move through the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit, into each and every heart and life this morning, I do pray. Come, speak into situations, circumstances, things that are weighing on our minds this morning, things that we may be concerned about, maybe some challenges ahead of us, Lord. Come, speak into those circumstances, fill us with faith for the future, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to add my welcome. It's so great to be sharing with you. Uh, Particularly welcome to those joining us online as well. Really great to have you linking in with us online. Don't forget that online form too. If you're calling that online church home, you're linking in there regularly, we'd love to get to know you. Um, So we'd love you to take a moment to fill that in as well. Um, But so good to be sharing with you. We're actually wrapping up our series in Genesis. And today we're finishing by looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, Over the years, I've come to realize that if you ask the average person today why they're skeptical of the Bible or Christianity, most of the objections people have, they're not intellectual objections. They are personal objections. In other words, not going to say that I have trouble believing um, there is a God. All the, all the surveys, research shows that most people believe there is, there is a God or some higher power. But what they're going to say is this. Why did God allow this or that to happen to me? That's the question they ask. Why did God allow that to happen? And the question of suffering in our lives and why bad things happen to good people continues to be one of the biggest obstacles for people Uh, in exploring faith on their journey of what it means to trust in God. If God really knew me, if God really loved me, if he really cared about me, why would he allow me to go through that particular situation? Well, Joseph's story is one of the key places in the Bible where we can get an understanding of God's response to that question. It's not the only place uh, and, I mean, to get a full detailed answer to that question, we've got to look right across the Scriptures. But here in Joseph, we do get uh, a one aspect or a glimpse into how God views this question, how we should respond when things don't go according to plan, when everything seems to be going wrong around us. And one of the key themes of Joseph's story is this. I'm just going to give it to you up front. We're going to come back to it a number of times. But the key theme is this. Often... When things look like they're going the most wrong, God is most working for our good. Did you hear that? Often, when things look like they're going the most wrong, God is most working for our good. I know many of you will be familiar with Joseph's story, um, but I'm going to do a little two-minute recap. We're actually going to read the last part of the story, Genesis chapter 50. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices, you might want to turn to Genesis 50. We're going to read the last part in a moment. While you're turning there, um, let me give you the brief recap of Joseph's life. 
Uh, we looked at Jacob just a couple of weeks ago in this series. Joseph is one of Jacob's 12 sons. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Uh, and he wasn't um, backward in letting people know about this. He didn't try to keep this under wraps. He gave Joseph that coat. Uh, he made it very clear that Joseph was the favoured one, the spoilt one. Now, if you're looking for parenting tips this morning, this is one of those what not to do things to do in parenting, okay? Not a good outcome. Wasn't good for Joseph. He grew up to be very conceited. Uh, he was spoilt. Uh, and needless to say, uh, it didn't go down too well with his brothers. It caused a lot of dysfunction in the family, um, just generally. And uh, eventually it led to the, to the point where Joseph's brothers were so fed up with him and his conceited attitude and, and the, the way he was spoilt so much that they decided when Joseph was 17 years of age to get rid of Joseph for good. An opportunity opened up, and so they decided as his brothers to kill him. Um, they were about to kill him and instead at that moment they changed their mind. They decided instead to sell him into slavery and Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt of all places in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar just happens to be the captain of the Pharaoh's guard right up the top of the tree and uh, here is Joseph, 17 years old, going from being the spoiled get anything he wants, son of his dad in his homeland, to now living in a foreign land, different culture, as a slave right at the bottom of the chain. Joseph works hard, um, proves his worth, and he works his way up until Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his entire estate. So things are looking up. Um, Joseph's thinking, yes, God, this is how it's meant to go. But then... Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. When Joseph doesn't, Joseph doesn't go along with this, doesn't play the game, she accuses him falsely and Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. Now I'm sure in that moment, Joseph is thinking, God, hang on, I did the right thing. When I do the right thing, your job is to bless me. Why am I now here in prison? And as you know, in the story, in prison, he gradually works his way up there as well, proves his worth again, rises up through the ranks until the warden of the whole prison gets Joseph to be his right-hand man. After a number of years, um, the king, Pharaoh, has a dream. And no one, a couple of dreams in fact, and nobody can interpret. None of his advisors can interpret this dream. Finally, the cupbearer to the king remembers that Joseph interpreted a dream for him when he was in prison a few years back, and so they call, the cupbearer suggests they get this Hebrew um, young man out of prison to come and interpret Pharaoh's dream. Joseph is able to do that. He interprets it and says what's going to happen is it's going to be seven years of prosperity, of abundance, and then seven years of famine, and that you need to store up grain and food ready in preparation for the famine. And so Pharaoh is so impressed with this um, young man that he puts Joseph as second in charge, his viceroy, prime minister, over all of um, his kingdom, his empire, the Egyptian kingdom at the time. So now Joseph's right back up the top and he sets about, in the first seven years, storing up all this grain, the food that is needed. He looks after all of that. And then uh, eventually the seven years of famine comes. So now, in all, 13 years he spent in slavery, in prison, we know that. It's at 30 years of age where we get to um, towards the end of the story and uh, this roller coaster ride for Joseph. Um, because of the famine, eventually Joseph's brothers come 
uh, to get food because otherwise they're going to starve to death. So they come. At first, they don't realize that it is Joseph that is the one in charge here. They don't realize that's him until Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And in this moment, they are fearful. They think, well, Joseph's going to wipe us out now. He's going to kill us after everything we did to him. But somehow Joseph is able to forgive them and he receives them and he blesses them. Uh, and eventually he gets reunited with his father, Jacob, who is now very old in years. And it's his very emotional reunion. It's quite an amazing story. But now we're going to read how the story finishes in Genesis 50. And there is a key in here. We see something central that we need to take hold of this morning as well, that Joseph has learned across this roller coaster journey of his life and what God has done in his heart. Let's read this together. Genesis 50, we're going to read from verse 12. It says this, So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. Um, Jacob has now passed away. So they carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for the wrongs we did to him? So they're worried here. Although Jacob, uh, Joseph has forgiven them, they're thinking, well, maybe he was just doing that to be nice to us because he loved dad. And now dad's gone and he's out of the picture. We're in trouble. So they send word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph weeping because he realized they don't really believe that he has truly forgiven them. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Now, we are not told exactly how this scene plays out, but uh, in my mind, I picture that as his brothers come to him, Joseph is sitting in his reception hall. Remember, he's second in charge of all of Egypt, where people would come to him each day to make their requests and uh, normally in ancient Egypt, that would take place in a big hall. There would be a chair of authority uh, that Joseph would have sat in and he would have received the people that come. And the picture we have is that his brothers are coming to him and it says in the, in the passage there that they bow down before him and they say to him, we are your slaves, Joseph. We're your slaves. Um, and they're, they're, they're fearful. They're, they're scared about what Joseph is going to do. Joseph is, is very moved by this. And then it says... These words that Joseph says to them in this moment, don't be afraid. And I picture him actually getting up out of his chair. Or they're bowed, these are the brothers bowed down before him, it says. He gets out of his chair and he kneels down next to them to sort of reassure them and comfort them. He says, don't be afraid. And then he says these words. He says, am I in the place of God? He's just been sitting in this place of authority, uh, of, of power, he gets down out of that chair and he says, am I in the place of God? And then he says these words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, he says. And he says again, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And then it says that he, they, that he then went on to reassure him and comfort them with kind words. Amazing response, isn't it, really? 
When you think about all that Joseph has been through, all that his brothers did to him. But it's this key phrase that Joseph uses here. He says that phrase, am I in the place of God? A key question that I think all of us need to ask ourselves. Joseph is tapping in here to a key theme, a very important theme in the Bible. Putting yourself in the place of God is at the heart of almost all of our problems and our troubles. I don't know if you realize that. In Genesis 3, God gave Adam and Eve only one command. We saw this at the start, back earlier in the series. Do not eat from that tree. And the serpent said what? He said, eat from that tree and you will be as God, is what the serpent said. You'll be able to decide what is right and wrong for you rather than God. And what the serpent was doing here, he was trying to get Adam and Eve to put themselves in the place of God, is what he was trying to persuade them to do. Eat from that fruit, he said, and you'll be as God. Because whenever you decide for yourself what is right and wrong for you, rather than following God's word and authority, then you are putting yourself in that role. You are putting yourself in the place of God. And it's not a good place to be. There's a place in 2 Kings 5 where Naaman, the Syrian general who has leprosy, is told that there's power in Israel for healing. So Naaman, the Syrian general, holds, uh, loads up his wagons full of gold and, and silver. And he heads off to this king in Israel and he says, I'd like my healing, please, this king of Israel. And the king of Israel, it says this, that he tears his clothes and says, am I God? What are you doing coming to me and asking this? Can I kill or make alive? Do you see what he's saying here, what the king is saying here? He's absolutely right. He's saying, I'm, I'm a king. Yes, I do have a lot of power and I've got a lot of authority, but I am not God. There is something that only God can do for you. Do not come to me for that. Do not ask me to do what only God can do. And so Joseph has learned this lesson over his life. So many times he had no idea what was God doing in the midst of his circumstances, the injustice that he experienced, the suffering, the trials that he went through. But Joseph had learned through his life to avoid God's chair. That's what he'd learned. And he's saying here, when he says these words, he's saying, am I in a position to judge do I know all things? Do I see everything and understand everything? Am I in control? I'm not in control. There is only one who is in control. He is humbling himself before God and trusting him. And we see through Joseph's life, there are three particular circumstances in which we have this natural pull to want to put ourselves in God's chair. Three circumstances that we all face in this life. And when we're in those circumstances, our natural pull, our natural response is to want to jump into that chair. And when we are faced with these circumstances, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I in the place of God? Am I putting myself in his place in this situation? The first circumstance we see is when we are in the place of suffering. When we are in the place of facing trials and suffering, we need to ask ourselves, am I in the place of God in my suffering? Let me explain this, unpack this a little bit. For, for most people, our default thinking when it comes to God is that God's job is to protect us and bless us, keep us from pain and suffering. And, uh, and, and from trials. That's God's job. The deal goes something like this. God, I'll do my best to live a good life. And if I do my part, try my best to live a good life and, and uh, follow you, then God, your job is to protect me and to keep me safe. 
But uh, actually, God's picture, the picture the Bible gives us of suffering and trials is so much deeper, far more intricate than this. And when we do this, when we think like this, we're actually putting ourselves in God's place. When Joseph is put in the cistern, when his brothers are about to kill him and he's in Dothan is the place, the location where he's at, 17 years of age, the brothers are about to kill him. They put him in a cistern. He cries out to God from this cistern in Dothan to save him. And what happens? No one comes. But God doesn't answer his prayer. Um, he, he still goes into captivity. What is interesting is that centuries later, in this exact same place, same location, Dothan again, Elisha the prophet and his servant this time were in the city of Dothan, but the city was surrounded by an enemy army. The army was going to come in and, and wipe out the city and kill everyone. So Elisha and his servant, who were about to die, Elisha cries out to God in that moment. He cried out from the pit as it was, just like Joseph. He cried to God. Do you know what the result was? God sent chariots of fire. Heavenly angelic armies came and just wiped out, smote the offending army, and everyone was saved. Now, most of us would say, that's the type of God I want. I want that God. When I pray for help, he sends the chariots of fire. That's the God we want, isn't it? But I want you to see here, same Bible same God, same place, exact same location, two people crying out, save me, God, I'm about to die. In one case, nobody comes, no chariots of fire. In the other case, chariots of fire come. What's going on here? Well, we know because we have the big picture. We can step back and we can see the big picture of Joseph's story and Elisha's story. We know that actually God was working in both situations, wasn't he? In one, he sent the chariots of fire. In one, he didn't respond. But we know that in both situations, God actually was working to bring blessing and to save many lives. If God had answered Joseph's prayer in that pit in that moment, when he was there in Dothan, then literally thousands of people, including his own people, would have died from famine. Thousands of people would not have been saved. And even more than that, do you know what? Even more than that, Joseph would probably still have been a prideful, conceited, selfish person. Because God had some work to do in Joseph's heart as well, didn't he? Through the experiences he was going to go through. We see this in the New Testament as well. Not just in the Old Testament. The Apostle Peter gets put into prison. Everybody prays. The angels come. The prison doors fly open. Amazing. Praise you, God. A little later, John the Baptist gets put into prison. All of his disciples pray, God, come and help. And what happens? John the Baptist is beheaded. What's going on with that? Do you believe that God is still working in both situations? Do you believe that this morning? When we face trials and sufferings and loss, it is so easy for us to put ourselves in the place of God. You need to get angry at God for what he is doing, saying, God, I don't deserve this. You shouldn't be doing this to me. Or on the flip side, we think, God, what have I done wrong? And we can be bound up and consumed, thinking, well, God, what have I done wrong to deserve this? But in both ways, we're putting ourselves in God's chair. But Joseph reassures us of this truth this morning. Often when things look like they're going most wrong, God is most working for our good. And I know that's for some this morning. You hear, and that word is just for you this morning. 
But that also means that if you reject God because you look at the surface of your life and you can't see what good God could bring out of it, you're probably making the worst mistake of your life. If that is your objection this morning, if that is what is keeping you from coming to God, to trusting Jesus as your Savior, you're probably making one of the worst mistakes. You are making one of the worst mistakes of your life. The second situation, circumstance is this, when we need to ask ourselves this question, am I in the place of God? And that is when it comes to forgiving people who have done wrong against us. When it comes to forgiving people, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I in the place of God? Perhaps you're here this morning or you're watching online and as you watch this morning, you know there are people in your life that you have not really forgiven. You are holding on to a grudge against someone. Um, There are feelings that come up. When you think of particular people or a particular person, there are feelings that come up, feelings of resentment and anger that well up within you that come to the service. Well, the Bible tells us, and we see this in Joseph's story, the Bible tells us that when we hold on to a grudge or unforgiveness or feelings of resentment and anger against someone who has wronged us, when we do that, we are actually sitting in God's chair in that moment when we do that. This is a big one for all of us. This is the reason God says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What is God saying there? He is saying, do not sit in my chair. Get out of my chair, he's saying. When it comes to forgiving others, when it comes to situations that have been done against you, and what he's saying is that if you sit in judgment in your heart on somebody who is wronging you, don't you realize that first of all, only God has the right to sit in judgment. Only God does. The rest of us are all sinners who deserve our own judgment. That's the reality. Only God has the knowledge to sit in judgment. And the person who wronged you, you're sitting there thinking about what you would like to see happen to that person. Don't you do that? It just goes over in your mind. Gee, I'd love this to happen to that person. Or if only this would happen to that person. You think you know what they deserve, but you don't know what they deserve. You don't know all the situations and circumstances of their life. You don't know all the influences that have been on their life. You don't know what struggles or challenges they have or are facing in this moment. To sit and to think that you know what a person deserves and to wish this would happen to them means you are sitting in God's chair. That's where you're at this morning. They're the feelings you're having, then that means you're sitting in that chair. And we need to remember that only God has the power to judge somebody without becoming evil himself. He is the only truly righteous judge. And you know, we all know this, if we don't forgive somebody, you start to get, you start to get hard and cold. The longer you don't forgive somebody, the longer you nurse that grudge, it means you become self-pitying, self-absorbed, concentrating on yourself, self-centered, not looking outside of yourself. It binds us up. Instead, the key to freedom and finding the strength to forgive, do you know what the key is? The key is to step out of that chair this morning. Instead to say, God, I'm trusting in your justice. I'm leaving that to you. Instead, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let go. I read recently about a young man who grew up in Wales and from a young age, he was very cynical about his family's Christian faith. He had a lot of trouble believing it. And then at the age of 16, he was actually um, captured. His village was raided. He was captured by these raiders from overseas who took him and sold him to be a slave in Ireland, Ireland of all places. His life in slavery consisted of living in a compound with other slaves 
um, and, and as well as going out and tending to his master's sheep for days on end, all by himself out, on, out in the fields. And he had a lot of time to himself, a lot of isolation, um, time of solitude. And in this place, he began to um, do business with God, so to speak, to, um, to, to discuss some of the questions he had. And during this process, he actually, he knew, he knew about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him through his family. He'd heard this many times. His father was a priest, in fact. He'd heard this many times. He knew the good news of the gospel. And in this place of isolation, God began to reveal to him, or he began to open his heart to God and began to understand fully what Jesus had done. And he began to change from the inside out. Instead of hatred, he found a deep love growing inside himself for, for the people who were his captives and those who were, his, um, who, who were keeping him as a slave. And for this whole nation of Ireland, he, his heart began to really change within him. But that didn't mean, even though this was changing, it didn't mean that he wouldn't take an opportunity to escape if the opportunity came up and in a very miraculous situation one day when he was alone looking after his sheep he heard an audible voice that told him that a ship was waiting for him on the coast Uh, and so following this this prompting he took a big trek um, to the coastline it was a long trek to take he got there and sure enough when he got there there was a ship on the coastline he was able to get on this ship and to escape and find freedom and eventually he made it back to his family in Wales um, this um, young man who arrived back in Wales was a very different person to the person who had left. Um, and, and so different was he that instead of being content just to rest and live out his days in safety, he, he'd been profoundly changed by this experience. And, and then came another miraculous experience. He had a vision of a man um, calling him from Ireland to come and to help them. It was very much like Paul's vision in scriptures of the man from Macedonia telling him to come, to come to them. Well, this, this young guy had this same experience. And so he gathered up a group of workers and they officially were commissioned by the church and the group set out for Ireland. Now, you need to understand that at the time, Ireland was dominated by pagan religion, Druids. Uh, it was, you know, a tough place to go, but they... This, this um, young man was now a middle-aged man and he committed to bringing spiritual freedom to the people who had held him captive. He goes to this nation of Ireland. He sets up Christian communities. He serves and pours his life out for 30 years, working tirelessly to share the good news about Jesus that had transformed his life. And throughout this time of him ministering, literally the nation of Ireland was transformed and the impact of that would spread right around the world. I'm talking about St. Patrick, who passed away on the 17th of March, 461. We still celebrate and give thanks for, for his ministry today. But I want you to see through his story as well, God's plans and purposes are so much greater than what we can see or comprehend. Often when things look like they're going the most wrong is when God is working most for our good, and not just for our good, but for the salvation, the blessing. Of many, And so we need to ask ourselves, am I in the place of God in my suffering? Am I in the place of God in forgiving others who have done wrong against me? And then there is this last one, this last situation where we need to ask ourselves, and it's this one, am I in the place of God when it comes to my salvation? And this really is at the heart of the message of Joseph this morning. If you ask the average person on the street, 
how to get to heaven, the response will most likely be something like this. Well, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be a good person. You've got to live a good life. You've got to be kind. You've got to look out for others. Because there is a good God in a good place reserved for good people. That's the thinking the vast majority of people have. But there's a big problem with this view. When we think like this, we are actually putting ourselves in God's chair when it comes to our salvation because we are the ones determining if we are good enough, if that's what the scale is. And our salvation in that situation depends on what we do, what I do to earn God's favour. But Joseph's story shows us that that is not how it works in God's kingdom, that our salvation is received, not achieved. Very different. And this is the main message of the story of Joseph. You know, when we tend to read these stories of the Bible, we've been looking at all these characters right across Genesis, we can easily think that the main point is that these stories are there to be an example for us as to how we are to live. Right, we look at the heroes of the faith. We've been examining in this series, Abraham, Rachel, Jacob, Joseph, and we think, well, here are examples of faith to us to follow. And they are that definitely. They are examples of faith. But there is a deeper message. Because as we have seen throughout this series, again and again, each of these people were actually deeply flawed. And they were the last people deserving of God's grace and to be used by God. We have seen across this series, isn't it true? We've seen a lot of family dysfunction across this series. We have seen a lot of evil, a lot of jealousy, a lot of deceit, just again and again. If anything, we have learned a lot about what not to do rather than what to do through this series. Abraham lied, committed adultery. Rachel was jealous, manipulative. Jacob was a deceiver and a fraud. Joseph, arrogant and conceited. There is no good or deserving people here. I want you to see this throughout this whole series. There is just brokenness upon brokenness. There's pride, there's hate, there's bitterness. It's everywhere through these stories we've been looking at. What does this mean? What are we supposed to make of these stories? What kind of story is this? Well, the purpose of these Bible stories, don't miss this, is is not so much to show us how to live a good life. The purpose of these stories in the Bible on every page is to show you how, even though we don't deserve it, God's grace breaks into your life against your will and rescues you from the sin and brokenness in our lives, in our hearts, in our world. And he does something that you would never be able to do yourself, no matter how hard you try. This is what we see on every page of the Bible. This is the good news. This isn't religion. This is the good news of the gospel that we are talking about. Religion is if you obey, then you'll be accepted. And the gospel is if you know you're accepted when you've come to Jesus in repentance and faith, knowing that he has done it for you, and you know you're accepted, then and only then will you really be able to obey and live as God has called you to. They're two completely different things. Every page shows us this truth. And you see this Joseph in Joseph's story so clearly because I want you to see this morning, not to miss the parallels between Joseph's story and Jesus' story. Joseph was sold for pieces of silver by his brothers You know, in the same way Jesus was sold for pieces of silver by Judas who betrayed him. Just as Joseph was rejected by his own, left naked to die, so was Jesus 
as he was stripped and hung on that cross for you and for me. Just as Joseph was stripped of his robe and his father's love, so was Jesus. He had that exact same experience. Just as through one person, Joseph, who came in weakness, thousands of people were saved. So in the same way, the Bible says, through one person, Jesus, who left his throne in heaven, came humbly in weakness, the Bible tells us that all can find salvation and eternal life through him. Don't miss this in Joseph this morning. Ultimately, the message of Joseph and the message of all the stories we've been looking at in this series is this truth that salvation is received, not achieved. That when it comes to salvation, it's not good people who go to heaven. It's forgiven people. It's people who've come and received forgiveness. Knowing that we cannot save ourselves, but we need a saviour. We need someone to redeem us. So let me ask you this morning, finally, when it comes to your own salvation, are you sitting in the place of God? Are you trying to do it yourself because God says, you need to get out of my chair. You will never be able to save or redeem yourself. Instead, we read in Revelation 7 verse 10, these words, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's received through Him and through Him alone. So here's the response this morning. All of us here, myself included, have areas of our lives where we are sitting in God's place. We are sitting in the throne of that area of our life rather than getting out of that and trusting God in that area of our life. And for all of us, God is giving us an opportunity this morning to say, you know what, God, I'm going to get out of that chair. I'm going to put you back in your rightful place. I'm going to trust you in that area of my life. For some of you, it might be in the area of suffering and trials, which we see in Joseph's story. Maybe you've been getting angry at God, saying, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? How come you have allowed me to go through this, to experience this? And you're angry at God. Or maybe on the flip side of that, you're worrying about, God, what have I done to displease you? What have I done? And you're consumed with this. Well, in both cases... You're sitting in God's place in the midst of your suffering and God says to you this morning, you need to get out of the chair. You need to step out of the place that only I can sit in and you need to be reminded this morning, this is God's word for you, this is where you're at, that often when things look like they're going the most wrong, God is most working for your good. You need to hear that this morning. For others, it might be in the area of relationship like Joseph. For him, it was family members, relationships where there was... There was um, division there. Um, maybe for you it's other relationships with friends or other people, but you have been sitting in the place of God in those relationships, passing judgment instead of forgiving. Wrong has been done to you. And you're sitting in the place of God and you won't, you're holding on to that grudge, you're holding on to that resentment and that bitterness and that anger. And God says to you, if that's how you're feeling this morning, you're sitting in my chair. Instead, you need to step out of that chair you need to allow me to do the role that only I can do. I'm a God of justice. You can trust me. Instead, you need to forgive. You need to let go. You need to take a step of reconciliation in that relationship as far as you can. And God is saying that to you this morning. You know that. You know that. You sense that by the Holy Spirit as I'm speaking about that this morning. For others, there may be some other area of your life but this morning, you know, you're sitting in that place. Maybe it's in your area of your finances. You're sitting in that chair. Maybe for others, it's your career. Uh, maybe it's 
your plans for the future, wondering what the future holds. You know there's areas there where you're holding on to it, you haven't surrendered to God, you're sitting on the throne of that area of your life, so to speak. And there's a quite an easy way to identify what those areas might be for you because when we're sitting in the throne of God, in the place of God, we know we're sitting there because that issue begins to consume us begins to fill us with fear and worry and anxiety. If you're wondering, well, where am I sitting in that place in my life? Well, what is the area of your life that you're most worried about, you're most anxious about, you're most fearful of this morning? What is the area of your life that's just consuming your thinking at the moment? You know, when you just your mind just goes there straight away. They are indicators of what that situation or circumstances in your life where you are sitting in God's place. Because we were never created to sit in that chair. We are not God. And when we try to sit in that chair, you know what it does? It binds us up. It fills us with fear and worry and anxiety. We feel weighed down. God says, don't sit in my chair. Step out of that chair. Put me back in charge of that area of your life. And let me show you. Let me lead you. Let me lead you into my perfect plans and purposes. It's a lot easier, a lot less stress, a lot more peace in that place. So if that's you this morning, you're coming and you're going, yeah, God, I, I hear, I know, I see the Spirit of God showing that to you this morning. You have an opportunity this morning just to respond. Say, God, okay, I'm going to step out of that space. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and as we come to sing that song, if that's you, if you're saying, yeah, God, that's me this morning, I was trying to think of a way to respond tangibly to this. And I thought one way we can do that is if we're standing to sing this song. If that's you this morning, you go, yep, Lord, I know there's an area of my life. I want to invite you just to come during the song, come down the front and just to kneel. You're getting out of that place of God and saying, God, I'm surrendering that area of my life to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it back to you maybe again. Maybe it's something you've taken hold of again. I'm giving it back to you again. And God wants to bring freedom and blessing and peace into your life in that area. You can just come and do that. Just kneel for a moment, then just return to your seat. If you're not able to kneel, maybe you just want to come and just sit in the front for a moment and just say, God, I'm just surrendering this to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting it to you. Allow him to minister by his spirit, his peace. If you're online this morning and you're watching and God's been speaking to you, for you, if you're in your lounge room, wherever you're watching, you might just want to take a moment just to kneel where you are. Just to kneel in that moment and say, okay, God, I know the area. I'm just going to kneel now. I'm going to surrender it to you, wherever you're watching from. These physical acts of response, they're significant in marking in our own hearts, significant in a declaration, uh, in, in a spiritual sense as well, what God is doing in our hearts. So I'm going to pray. We're going to then sing together. And you feel free to respond this morning. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of truth, of hope, of grace. And so, Lord, now in these moments as we respond to you, I want to pray, Lord, for those in the midst of sufferings and trials at the moment. Lord, bless them, encourage them, minister your love and your comfort. Lord, fill them with faith this morning, I pray. For those, the steps of forgiveness that need to be taken here, Lord, give them courage, help them, Lord, to surrender this area to you. It's not easy, I know, it's easy to talk about it. I know the details are often so much more complex. Lord, please help, give wisdom, give strength for freedom here. And for those here this morning, maybe have never yet placed their faith and trust in you or they've been... They realize they've been sitting in the chair when it comes to their own salvation that this morning they'll take that step. Say, God, I'm looking to you and you alone for my salvation.
So Lord, come, do your work by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the response verse for you. This is what you're responding to, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Don't you love that? His throne of grace with confidence this morning so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If that's you this morning, come. Come to the throne of grace. Just come. Come kneel at the front. Just say, God, I'm surrendering that to you and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. Let's stand together um, and worship Him together. You feel free to respond. Our pastor's prayer team will be on the front. They'd love to pray for you as well. If you'd like prayer, you can do that. But let's stand and you feel free to respond in these moments.
again, great God, thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your grace, Your kindness, Your mercy that You have poured out upon us. And so now, Lord, fill us with Your Spirit, Lord. Help us to continue to look to You above all else, to trust in You and in You alone and use us, we pray, to bring this good news to our world, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' Name. Everyone said... Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down the front. They'd love to pray for you. Our prayer lounge up the back. Don't forget our connections lounge as well. We'd love to chat to you over tea and coffee. But God bless. And thanks for those joining us online as well. So good to have you sharing with us. God bless.